All right, guys, today on Table Talk, we had Austin Fletcher come and join us at the table to discuss what's going on in his life and how he got to where he is at. You guys may know him better as Fleckus Talks. Uh, he is a YouTube sensation. He goes around to different protests and he interviews people and he doesn't make them look silly. Their responses make themselves look silly. Yeah, they don't need any help. <laughs> uh, you can find him on Instagram at Fleckas. You can find him on YouTube. Uh, just search Fleckas Talks. Subscribe to him. Uh, go to his pages. Give him a dollar. Uh, YouTube demonetizes him so he's not making the amount of money through the ad revenues as he should uh so let's help him out um but yeah it was a lot of fun it was great getting to know the actual human side to him and not just what we see online uh, he is a very funny guy he's uh, was quite the athlete he was a four-year starter at dartmouth on their football team he was a center comes from an athletic family uh so yeah thank you guys and make sure you sub subscribe Give us that five star. Don't give us a four. We want the five. Leave a comment. Let us know what you guys think. Uh, Garden City, New York. This must be none other. Fleckas Talks. It is. It is. Garden <laughs> City, what's coming up on it? Yeah, that was the caller ID. How's it going, man? Pretty good, Caleb. How are you? Doing well. I'm on with uh, my co-host, uh, RJ, or as he goes by Richard when he orders food. Yeah, well, that's the name of my card. I, I don't want him to think I stole the card. <laughs> Awesome. Well, we really appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your day to do this. Oh, no worries. No worries at all. Um, yeah, so uh, we'll just jump right in because I know you're on a time crunch. Um, but yeah, so we pretty much just wanted to get you on and uh, you're kind of seen as, you know, some uh, right wing interview guy that likes to troll the libs. But I figured if we could get to know who Austin Fletcher is, then maybe more people on the left would be be more willing to to see you as a human and not just <laughs> some troll that sounds great yeah. yeah i would love that uh so basically i was uh i've been following you i mean you kind of just took off and the first video that i watched was the immigration ban uh one when you were yeah. you LAX. Yeah, yeah as you called it tom brady airport i believe <laughs> <laughs> um that that first guy you interviewed, Jeremy, was he was he real or did you plant that guy? Because that guy was just unbelievable. Uh, he was real. I've never I've never <laughs> used a plant. I've never used a plant. I've never told people what to say. All the all the interviews you see are all real people. Oh, that that just makes which my is day. like almost which is worse. It's like uh, I was kind of hoping he was a paid actor, but no, he's pretty much as bad as you can get with that one yeah <laughs> okay. thank a teacher yeah. okay um when I, I did some background on you, you you were a pretty good athlete i i was a, i did play college football i was a four-year starter at in college i played offensive line so yeah i mean i've played sports my whole life but i actually come from a family of athletes my dad played football at uh, princeton my older brother was an All-American at Stanford, and my younger brother just graduated from Princeton as well. So we have three boys that all played center in college. Oh, dang. Nice. Yeah, so that's uh, – how did sports kind of shape who you are today, growing up in an athletic, I'm sure somewhat competitive family? Oh, definitely. Yeah, competitive family. Uh, growing up, my so my mom at a young age uh, 
always really harped on uh, education and going to good college. So she was telling us, you know, you play football, go to good college, get a good job, go work in New York. That was kind of the plan. And she really put a lot of uh, good pressure on us uh, to perform. And my dad was a competitive guy, too. And, you know, he was there were strict growing up and winning was important, but winning with honor was important, too. I definitely learned a lot of good lessons. And the football experience itself pretty much shaped my work ethic because I think at this point I've experienced probably the hardest things I'm going to experience in my past years, just through like football and running and passing out from working out so hard and all that kind of stuff. So uh, tough coaches and uh, strict regimens really kind of shaped my work ethic and helped me perform in other aspects of my life later in life. Awesome. Uh, besides any one of your family members outside of your family, who would who would be someone you say that that you really looked up to as a mentor that really motivated you and inspired you in life? Um, I would say Andrew Breitbart, uh, especially more recently, once I started getting into politics, just watching what he was doing with his career and the problems he saw with the left and the toxic culture the left was creating uh, so many years ago. He was, you know, talking about some of the things that we're still talking about today. So I, I would say, obviously not in a personal way, I didn't know him personally, but just following his career path and listening and watching to uh, watching his videos really helped shape my uh, my worldview once I woke up to what was going on in politics. Awesome. Yeah, I, I, um, I've been reading a little bit about more about Andrew Breitbart and just kind of through Ben Shapiro. And yeah, absolutely. Uh, we could definitely use him today. Uh, too bad he, he died too soon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, RJ, did you did you have something to say? Go ahead. All right. Uh, so, what made you? Um, oh, wait, you have a sister too, right? I do have a sister. Yeah, uh, she played tennis in college. She went to Princeton as well. Oh, nice, Princeton. Uncle Phil went there. <laughs> and she also just had a baby. Oh. And- the baby's two months old. It's a beautiful little girl. And she wouldn't let me hold the baby at Thanksgiving. And she said, because I live near Skid Row, I wear the same clothes every day and I don't shower, oh. but I do shower. I shower all the time. So <laughs> the other two things are true. I just, I do shower. <laughs> that, that's just rude. <laughs> uh, well, is that your first uh, niece? Yeah, it's her first niece, my parents' first grandkid, her first kid. So I kind of get why she's a little on edge and nervous and overly protective, but I went all the way home from LA to New York for Thanksgiving. I was like, Oh, I'm going to meet the baby. I got the baby, a Trumpy bear. I was super excited. <laughs> I was like, Oh no, you're not, you're not touching my kid. <laughs> uh, when was your niece born? Uh, two months ago. So I think it was like October 6th or something or 8th. Oh, RJ just, uh, he, they just had, uh, his brother yeah. had a baby on October 22nd. Yeah. No, wasn't it October 8th. 22nd. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. But that was their Is first too. holding that baby with no problems. Yeah. They let me hold her. I, uh, pretty good. I'm definitely pretty nervous about it. <laughs> She's so small. Yeah. I definitely feel like yeah, I'm going to break her. Shots too. I had to get like the flu shot and this other shot to touch the baby and didn't matter, I guess. Wow. Well, at, at Christmas, hopefully you go back and they'll, they'll let you hold her. Yeah. Hopefully. All right. So your, your dad went to Princeton, right? Correct. Yes, he did. All right. And you're, so what made you choose Dartmouth? Um, so I, I had some options with like a lot of the Ivy League schools for football. I really liked Dartmouth because my plan, and I grew up in, on Long Island, so 
I was always around New York City, and I was planning on moving to New York City after graduation to work. So I wanted to kind of go up into the woods and try something different and, like, get out of the city for school. I didn't want to go to Columbia or any of these other schools that were kind of near the major cities. I liked the idea of, like, being out in the wilderness and trying something different. Uh, the school was a lot of fun. It was, like, a major party school. So that definitely played a role in my decision. It was a great balance of like schoolwork. It wasn't too hard compared to the other, other Ivies and football was, a, you know, strict and had a lot of things I had to do for football, but it was all manageable and the social life as well. So it was, I was able to balance all three. And I think that the, I think Dartmouth was the best fit for me compared to the other schools I was looking at. Okay. And so I would, I would assume you did pretty well academically in high school to be able to get in there. Um, I did pretty, I did okay. I mean, I did well. I had like high you know, A's and B's, high B's. Um, but I would never have gotten in without football for sure. Okay. Awesome. And then, so coming in as a freshman and earning a starting spot, how did, how did the upperclassmen uh, receive that? Were you welcomed in or was, was there people that were kind of upset that you stole a spot from a senior or junior? So yeah, there was a uh, there was a fifth year senior at the time who kind of had the spot um, almost like grandfathered to him just because he was there for so long. But I, he wasn't that good. And I came in and I was like talking trash right off the bat. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm gonna take your spot. And everyone was kind of like, I don't know about this freshman. And then I got into a fight with the defensive lineman in practice, and all the other offensive linemen backed me up. And then ever since then, they kind of brought me in and were cool with me. So it took a little coercing in the beginning it took like two or three weeks of them you know for me to prove myself basically and show that I was tough show that I could learn the plays show that I could perform at a higher level and once I kind of you know showed them I could do it and you know fought back and needed them to back me up it all it all kind of fell together after that awesome oh did you get hazed at all uh no actually oh. wasn't too bad <laughs> Dang, if I, was, I did, I would say no, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't want to get <laughs> but, their uh, school football shot. wasn't too bad. Uh, hazing wasn't tough. It was just like a lot of running and hard things and two-a-days and the heat. It was really tough, but nothing like that was inappropriate. I was in the frat, too, which is mostly football players. And the good thing was that since it was all football players, we all had experienced, you know, the 6 a.m. workouts, the hard runs and all that stuff. So there wasn't a real need to like haze and bond us together that way. Cause we already kind of had that team bond. So our frat was like super easy to, to work with and we're on the same schedule. So it was, it was a really good experience. Did you have any aspirations to play at the next level, whether it be like arena or Canadian or NFL? Uh, no, no. I, I, I'm like six one and my freshman and sophomore year, I was like the shortest lineman in the league. The only that everyone, the other shortest guys were six one as well. So I was always not, you know, I was never the biggest guy. And once you get to the next level, these people are just like, they're, they're massive and they're a lot bigger, a lot stronger. It's just, a, there's a very big difference between yeah. dark one double a and like playing LSU or something. So the difference between that and going to the pros would have been too much. Like I enjoyed football. I played my whole life, but, senior year I kind of knew all right 10 games left five games left one game left and I I was okay with that yeah and you were a center correct yes yeah are you worried about CTE at all any concussions Uh, yeah I think it's I hopefully they figure something out or we learn more about it but 
I definitely had a few concussions. I definitely had a couple of concussions that I didn't tell anyone about and played through. I remember one time against Yale, first play of the game, I pulled around and I cut a linebacker and his knee hit me right in the head. And I, I, like, I just, I think I got knocked out for like a half a second, got back up. We um, were on the sideline at the end of the drive and the trainer saw me and knew I got hit in the head. And he's like, what happened? I'm like, Oh, I got poked in the eye. I got poked in the eye. And he's like, Oh yeah. Well, what's the scoreboard say? I'm looking at the scoreboard and I'm like, Oh, I got it. And I'm like looking close, like, uh, <laughs> and then it was, it was zero zero because it was like the first drive of the game. So he was asking like, Oh, what's the scoreboard say? As if like, I'm trying to see it, but it was like, dude, the game started like 30 seconds ago. <laughs> so I was like looking at the scoreboard, like it is zero to zero. <laughs> and he's like, I don't know, man. And I was like, no, I got poked in the eye. I'm fine. I'm fine. But Looking back, I, I wish I had come out a situation like that because the rest of the game I was just in a daze and going the wrong way, taking the wrong steps, like not, you know, getting off the ball that fast. I could definitely tell there was a change in my play after that. Yeah. Well, I mean, in uh, what year, what years did you play? I played 2008 to 2011 and graduated 2012. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I mean, it was starting to come about, but it's not really, it wasn't yeah. as known as it is yeah, they, today. They, they hadn't made that Will Smith movie yet quite yet. So <laughs> yeah, nobody cared about it quite yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That was back in the, I guess people are starting to be aware of it, but definitely not like they are now. It, it kind of makes me wonder what's going to happen with the game in general. I think in a few years, the NFL is going to have to do something to change it. Or I don't know if it's going to, I was kind of hoping there'd be like an XFL, that would rise up along like the alongside of the NFL and it would be like people that just signed away their rights and whatever signed away their bodies basically. And it's like a ruleless NFL. I thought that would be kind of a cool just idea. Play to the death. Yeah. It'd be like NFL <laughs> blitz, the video game. Exactly. <laughs> NFL blitz. Cause I think like the regular NFL, like they're changing all the rules, the kickoffs and like the hitting the quarterback and the targeting. Eventually the game's going to get to the point where it's like not as fun. And I would love for there to be like a, an inmate league or something of people who are like, I don't care. I'll, I'll hit, you know, I'll hit at the whistle. I don't, I won't take penalties. And I think it could be kind of interesting to see if that were to happen. Yeah. Well, as we saw with the Tom Brady, all the whenever Tom Brady gets hurt, they seem to come out with a new rule. And so all it's going to take is one big shot to his head and then they'll have some, some different concussion rules. It'll be sarcastical. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> South park. <reference>. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so what was your original plan after college? Uh, so right after college, I I had a job. I worked at a city group. I had like a Wall Street job. I had no beard. I was like shaving every day. I had to go to work at like 6 a.m. I was going to work at like 5.45 in the morning, leaving at like 7 at night. I did that for two years. So I was in an analyst program at city group. I did sales and trading, which is basically like I was doing like mortgage uh, mortgage bonds. And I did a year of equities, too. And I did that for two years. Um, the pay was good. The people were nice. The experience was great. I love living in New York, but I just kind of wanted something a little more creative. I wanted something different. And I really wasn't like, I didn't see myself working there and having a fulfilling life in the future. So I left after I fulfilled my second year, right before promotions. I was going through the promotion process and I just told them like, hey, I'm actually going to move to California and try to be a comedian. And they, they started laughing. So my first joke, I guess, was good. 
they were like, no, like you can't do this. Like no one has a job. Like this is insane. The only other person who's leaving voluntarily from this analyst class is going to Harvard business school. Like, are you sure you want to do this? And I was like, yes, I'm positive. So I left, moved out to LA. I bought a 1999 SL500 Mercedes convertible for like 9,000 bucks. <laughs> it was really cool. Um, and then I cruised around here for a couple of years trying to figure out what exactly I wanted to do next. I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be, you know, maybe even an actor, some sort of performer. I didn't really know what exactly it was. And after a few years in LA, it just wasn't happening. Every job I applied to went to someone's friend's kid or someone's nephew. And I just like couldn't really get in the door. I didn't have many connections out here. And even when I did get involved in projects, it was like, you know, the luck of the draw. You get involved in some student film or some low budget project. It's like not something you want to work on, not something they're going to give you a lot of creative control over. So like the the come up process in LA is so takes such a long time and it's so brutal and it's so like, it's just, it just surra surrounds yourself with people with other people's money. So it's like, it's hard to have any creative control. And then once the election happened, I just saw a huge split with my friends. We're actually not really a split. Everyone just went the opposite direction of me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so like it wasn't like we split down the middle. It was like everyone went in one direction to the left. And I kind of was just in the middle to the right, kind of like, I don't think Trump's that bad. Um, <laughs> so then I started making my videos and I kind of never looked back in Hollywood. I used to try to get all these meetings with Hollywood agents and managers. Please hear me out. Please read my scripts. And no one would do it. And now I just kind of made my own channel have my own audience, have, you know, it's my own income now. And the same people are starting to message me back like, Hey, you want to have a meeting? Hey, I saw you on YouTube. Like, do you have a representation? And, like, I don't even respond to them now just because I don't feel like it's a, I don't want to get back into it. I kind of want to just do my own thing alongside of it. Yeah. And so, I mean, that way you're in control of your own destiny and you don't have to worry about uh, anyone else, you know, going to bat for you. You get to do it all yourself. I, I like that approach a lot better than putting my hands into someone who, only sees me as a dollar sign. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And then once you're involved with someone else or someone else's money, it's just, they can justifiably be like, Hey, you can't say this or like, Hey, make a video about that. And you have to, you're kind of, you know, working for them at some point. I'd rather just stay independent, maybe make less money in the short term, just because there's no big, big money behind me. But I think long-term the keeping the brand pure like that will, I think it'll, it'll pay off. Oh yeah, absolutely. What you do is it's, it's genius and it's, it's addicting. I, when, when I first found you, I, my wife would get annoyed because I just, <laughs> babe, you got to watch this and watch this. <laughs> Look, he got Maxine Waters again. Watch, watch. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but so how, how did you get from, so you, you wanted to do comedy. How did you end up going into the, the Paul into politics? So I think on um, this last election, um, Politics and reality TV kind of became the same thing, which I think is a great thing because <laughs> for how long have has the government been doing whatever the government does and no one really knew? It was kind of like, oh, yeah, like, you know, Obama, he's doing whatever he does. George Bush, same thing. It's kind of just like what goes on behind the curtains, no one really knows. But with Trump, because everyone hated him so much, they watched every single thing he did. So whether they liked it or not, we, he brought transparency to the government for the first time in a long time, especially with social media and how much information is accessible. So when I saw that happening, I really, I mean, I, I could tell that there was going to be 
uh, a, a, move, a driving force, a huge group of people heading towards politics for the first time. And me personally, I was never the most political in college. I probably would have been like, yeah, Obama's a good president, like hope, change, all that's good. First black president, that's great. And like that's pretty much all the political knowledge I had. And I think a lot of people shared that view with me. A lot of people I went to college with didn't know anything about politics, but they did know, oh, yeah, Obama, he's one of our best presidents. And you can ask, oh, what's something he's done? And they'll be like, Obamacare? Like, like they really <laughs> – they don't know. They don't know, they don't know anything. Disaster. I was the same exact boat. So I kind of mirrored my channel off of my own personal experience of like coming to terms with what's going on politically. And the problem I was seeing out in L.A. was the protesters were getting so much credibility. Like the local news would be like, oh, protesters are at the LAX airport again over Trump's Muslim ban. And it's like I knew people that were going to that protest who had no idea what they were talking about. So I was thinking, it's like, now we all know who they are. <laughs> exactly. Now everyone needs to know. But I was like seeing the problem with like, why are we rewarding people just because their voice is so loud? Or why are we rewarding people just because they're in a group? And like a lot of people doesn't mean that everyone did their research and everyone's right. I mean, there maybe are some injustices here and there and they make some points. But for the most part, the protesting outrage culture I saw was a huge problem and a huge divide in our country. And I wanted people who didn't associate with the group. So I think a big problem with the protesting culture is you're either with the mob or you're against it. And if you're not with them, they'll, they'll throw you out. They'll be like, oh, you're out. You're not in the mob. You're not for this. You're against us. But I think because of that, we're seeing a lot of rational people who are maybe classical liberals, centrists, libertarians, you know, or just rational left-leaning people who don't really have a political home anymore because they've been kicked out of the mob or they don't want to associate with the mob. And I want these people to watch my videos say, wow, that mob does not represent me. I'm not necessarily a Trump supporter or a Republican, but I know I'm not in that mob. And that's the first step into kind of like dipping your toe into conservatism, I think, because I think people are realizing now that conservatism isn't conservatism from 50 years ago of like, you know, older, rich white people who are super religious. Like, I think that's like kind of the stereotype. And I wanted to kind of share my view and kind of how I came to terms with my political, my political views and kind of break the stereotypes, get away from the norm and just kind of show them a new point of view. Like, hey, there's a lot of people here who are just like normal, rational people who don't hate the president and want him to do well. And they're not racist, Nazi, KKK people. And if I can do that and show that, I feel like, you know, more people will be more comfortable with like speaking their political views and not agreeing automatically with the mob. Awesome. Yeah. And how, how did you get the wooden spoon? Where did that come from? <laughs> uh, so the wooden spoon, I needed something to like hold the recorder because all I had was a recorder in the beginning. All my equipment is just like stuff I got for free and things I found around my old house where I was living. So I used a wooden spoon as like a, as like a talking stick to kind of like make the recorder go further. And I picked spoon because my mom is Italian and growing up, I used to get whacked with the wooden spoon and I misbehaved. <laughs> wait, wait, I don't know if you want to say that. Your mom might get arrested right now. <laughs> I think the statute of limitations has run out on that. <laughs> But, you know, it's like, that's what happened. It's like, I used to get back with the spoon. She always, she always, when I say threatened, I used to get threatened with the spoon. 
and I usually wink right after, but I used to get like disciplined with the wooden spoon. And I think a lot of these protesters never had that. And they're basically having like big temper tantrums out in the streets because of it. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever told them no their whole lives. Everybody gets a trophy. Exactly. Everyone gets a trophy. No one's wrong. Everyone's special. I was like, yeah, we're all unique. But if we all have that attitude, it's like, it's not necessarily it's not a meritocracy when it comes to like um, the things we get in life. You have to work hard. You have to get lucky. You have to be persistent. And I think a lot of these people who weren't disciplined growing up, it's like whenever they see success, they automatically assume privilege. And whenever they fail, they automatically assume oppression. And that kind of just eliminates them from the game. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And then, so I, I brought this up earlier to you online. So you became pretty uh pretty big on youtube i think what i saw like two hundred thousand subscribers is that correct uh, i think i'm at like 265 now on youtube and 200 on instagram awesome and so in the beginning how does like because i watched a couple videos today and they still had ads on it so i'm assuming you still get some ad revenue revenue through youtube yes i get some um Basically, with my YouTube, I really I don't release the most videos. I release videos whenever they come, whenever I have them. So I get like surges of views at one time, and then it kind of trickles down. And the trick YouTube has been doing is every time I release a video, no matter what, they demonetize it right away. And then I always challenge it and request a manual review. And then they say, "Oh yeah, no problem. We'll review it. We'll get back to you in 48 hours." And then like 47 and a half hours later, they're like, oh, you're right. You can monetize this. But at that point, I missed, you know, pretty much half my views. I'm, and sometimes in two days, I can get three, 400,000 views. And if I don't get monetized on that and the video gets 800,000, you know, and basically they're cutting my, my income in half every time. So, so that's why I've been that, dealing with. They don't go back and give you credit for the views you had? Well, they only they can only give me uh, money for it if people see the ads on it. So oh. whenever they get demonetized, there's no ads running, but then they reinstate it and they start running ads. That that helps, but I mean, so far, I'd say on average, I'm probably getting paid like I'm missing half to a third on each video, half to a third of what I would really make if I hadn't been demonetized at all. Now, do you get like a YouTube rep that you stay in contact with, like a single person? I've actually reached out to YouTube tons of times with this issue. Other questions too. And I've never spoken to an individual from YouTube. I've always gotten the automated response or like the help desk response. I've never gotten like, Hey, this is Mike. I want you know, I'm from YouTube. I want to help you. I have never spoken to a person from YouTube, unfortunately. And I would love to, I want to, but I've never had like a personal, a person reach out to me personally or respond to my messages in a personal way where I was like, Hey, I can be your contact going forward. It's just really very limited to no help from them every time. I'm sure if you were with the young Turks, you'd be, uh, you'd be number one every day. Yeah. You should just uh, deny the Armenian genocide a little more. (laughs) They'll love you again. (laughs) Yeah. Young Turks have a, a good setup. They, they get all of the recommended video spots. They get a lot of the discovery page spots. If you look at their daily statistics, like in the last couple of weeks, you see like there's days they lose 500 subscribers. They gain 50, gain a hundred, lose 300. Like their analytics are not even representative of like a really highly engaged channel. 
but they still get the special treatment. And then you see people like me or Steven Crowder mm-hmm. who gain like hundreds to thousands of subscribers every day and never really have days where we lose and our engagement's so high and they kind of treat us like second class citizens. Yeah, that's what are are there any rumors out there about maybe a conservative channel for people to, you know, like a different platform besides YouTube? It's just it's hard because YouTube is it's so big. But is there anything going to be made where it's actually going to be, you know, come on here. Anyone's welcome. We're not going to demonetize you unless you're, you know, an absolute piece of crap. It's, I would love that. It's kind of tough just because whenever there's like a rivalry platform, say even like Gab, for example, all they do is point out like the Nazis or like the few people who are saying crazy stuff and say, oh, this is a Nazi, this is a Nazi channel or this is a Nazi uh, app and everyone wants to get off of it or doesn't want to associate with it. So they do a good job of like destroying any potential um, competition early on with like the Nazi stuff and the Nazi smears. And what I'm seeing as a response to these censorship is like CRTV, Daily Wire, The the Blaze, those kind of sites with um, subscription-based stuff and having their own website, which is great. I like that model, but it's kind of like they're kind of repackaging I kind of describe it as like them repackaging Fox News for the boomers. So it's like, hey, boomers, you like Sean Hannity? You're going to love CRTV on the Internet. Like, and they're like, oh, Internet, like that's that's cool. That's new. But realistically, like they're not engaging the millennial audience. And I think the millennial conservatives are a huge group of people online, but we're not really represented well. We're not really figuring out exactly how to come together and work together and like optimize the platform. Hmm. Yeah, that's, and I mean, I, you know, it's only a matter of time before you're going to get banned from Twitter too. Everyone else seems to be getting kicked off. Um, we, I know Alex Jones got kicked off. I did see they reinstated uh, Jesse Kelly, I believe is his yeah, name. For now. <laughs> yeah, and Laura Loomer's kicked off. Um, I, yeah, I heard she just changed herself to Twitter headquarters in New York. I think that was within the last couple hours. She just changed herself. To the, to the to the front door over there. Yeah, I saw. I'm sure that'll work out really well for her. <laughs> um, okay, but you're not like a full-on, um, from what what I think I gathered at least, is you're not a full-on always Trumper or always Republican. Uh, you weren't necessarily a big uh, President Bush fan, were you? No, I was not a, a Bush fan. I am a big Trump supporter just because I think he's like rebranding the, the party in the right way. I think he's a very anti-establishment person, which is what the Republican Party needed. That's what basically Bernie was to the left, but he ended up losing to the establishment in like the early on primary fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do support Trump. People think more than I should because I'm like always like, ah, eh, like hear him out or like, eh, I don't think he meant it that way. And I don't do it because I'm blindly loyal to him. I am very loyal to him. I do it because I think the type of president he is and the type of president we have with him in that seat for four, hopefully eight years, we'll never get this opportunity again. So when it seems like he might have made the wrong choice or he's selling us out, I always assume, and it's been right pretty much every time, uh, that he's he'll use it as leverage in the back end. If he seems like he's selling us out or makes a bad decision, maybe he favors the Democrats or whatever. In the back end and the next thing, he'll use it as leverage. Hey, I made a deal with you. Let's make a deal with me that kind of thing. And I think him as a businessman and not being so entrenched in the establishment is so refreshing. And it's like the change our system needed. And 
and on every level too. Like we're seeing the anti-establishment movement happen on the right. It's the MAGA people. And on the left, it was the Bernie people. And what these movements do is they, they take, they, they bring transparency to the government. Everyone's watching everything Trump does under a microscope, like never before. And we're learning all these things that the government's doing that have, they've been doing for years, like the, you know, separating kids from their parents, stuff like that. It's not the best stuff, but it's transparency. And also with it, we're taking kind of like the dirty money out of politics. So it's like Trump kind of won with social media. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, while I don't agree with her policy-wise, she is anti-establishment, and she did have a lot of a lot a lot of the reasons she won was because of her social media and her message, and people got behind it and like supported her, which is kind of I think what politics was meant to be in the first place, and it got kind of out of hand in the last few years or over these years when with all this dirty money and all this like corporate interest kind of taking over politics and because people weren't informed or paying attention, it just got worse and worse. So I do support Trump pretty much no matter what, unless he does something really crazy. I I am critical of things he does, but I would never turn away and say, Oh, I'm off the Trump train because of one thing. I I trust the guy. I think he's doing a great job. I think he's, he's uh, trolling the media into destroying themselves, which is my favorite part of him. Yeah, so. it's, it's every time he like takes a thing, he takes a stand. The media, you know, Kim Jong Un, he calls him Rocket Man. Oh, what is he thinking? He's gonna get us killed. Oh, this is the worst <laughs> thing ever. And then like a month later, the deal's done, and it's like, <laughs> okay, maybe, maybe not. And so while while you're out there at protests now, now that you're you're more recognizable, and so I see more people kind of opting away from you. Um. Is it getting dangerous for you? Are you being attacked or is there anything crazy going on? Um, I've never been attacked, luckily. I don't have security at the events. My camera operator is a girl, so she's my security. That's one of my jokes. I make she's security. She's like 100 pounds. <laughs> um, I haven't had any issues, and I think it's just because like certain people go out with certain – they present their ideas in certain ways, and it kind of – sometimes results in violence or people wanting to get violent. I always try to uh, present myself in a calm, respectful manner. Even if you don't agree with what I'm saying, I'm still like, oh, tell me why you think this. Or, tell, you know, I'm always looking for dialogue. So if there is a list of uh, people that the left hates and wants to attack, I'm probably on it, but probably towards the bottom. Yeah. There's a couple more outrageous people they probably want to get to first. And I think with my spoon mic and my beard and my weird outfits. I think people don't really take me too seriously, which is good because it kind of allows me to like tiptoe past the guard in a way. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause I, I, uh, a few months back, you know, I sent you a message saying you should come up to Portland and interview some protesters here, but it's legitimately dangerous where the chief of police and the mayor of Portland, they, they stand down. They don't let, they have the police stand down and then it's literally brawls between Antifa and like the Patriot prayer group. And I mean, I'm sure you saw all the headlines a few months back. Oh, where, yeah. and, that was crazy. I remember I showed my dad, I was like, Oh, did you see this uh, riot in Portland? He's like, what are you talking about? I showed him like the video of Rufio punching the guy out, the tear gas, the groups that running down the street, the huge fights. My dad was like, wait, this happened in like America. I was like, yeah, like this happened like last weekend, so that was at the time. And yeah, I couldn't believe it. And the media wasn't really covering it either. It was really insane. But yeah, Portland is definitely a, a hotbed right now. I think I'm going up there in a couple of months 
or the women's march. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> hit us be, up. That should be a good one. And then, um, you know, yeah, hit us up when you do that. And, you know, I can round up, you know, some, some guys that can help with security. It won't be me cause I'm a wimp, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, we definitely love to support you. So now with the YouTube kind of screwing you over, how, what are you, how are you making ends meet? Do you have like a side gig and where you work or is it just full-time Fleckas? Um, so I was work. I had a side job until August of this year. I was working at a production company in LA, just like renting out equipment. Um, my channel at this point, even with demonetization, is making enough money to like pay my rent and pay my insurance and stuff. And then I have a Patreon, which helps my expenses and some other in-between things, helps pay for my camera person who helps me assist with me as well. And then also I just get like PayPal donations too at the end of my videos. And I just only started this in the last like three videos. But at the end of the video, I'm like, hey, like I used to just say like, share, subscribe. Thank you very much or whatever. And now I was like, like, share, subscribe, maybe PayPal me a few bucks. And I've been making like thousands of dollars off PayPal from like the, just the fans that have been watching these videos over the last two years. And are like, yeah, I'll send you five bucks. I'll send you two bucks, 10 bucks. And it really adds up. So I'm doing Fleckus full time uh, as of the last three or four months. And it's not the easiest to make ends meet, but it's not impossible. So I'm very happy and very appreciative. Yeah. Well, because from what uh, Ben Shapiro always says, being a conservative in Hollywood is a great way to not get a, to not get work. Oh, yeah. I, I'll never get a normal job in Hollywood. Do you know, uh, did you ever see Axe Cop? Did I see what? Did you see Axe Cop? Uh, Axe Cop? Axe, like uh, A-X-E Axe. No, what's yeah. that? Oh, uh, okay. Well, it was a it was a comic book, and now it's a it it was a series on Hulu. But my uh, good buddy, his brother's the one that wrote it, and so he's a writer down there in Hollywood. I'll see if I can uh, get him and or get you his email address. Maybe you guys can connect and work out some contacts. But oh, that's cool. Yeah, I love meeting people out here who are open minded and willing to hear on their side. I know a lot of people that work in the industry that are like secretly conservative. And it kind of drives them crazy. So I've been kind of working. I think the next problem with uh, with our culture is like the political discrimination people are facing. I remember I was talking on college campus the other day, talking to a student at USC. And I said, if you were a Muslim person wearing a burqa walking around USC campus, would anyone give you a hard time? No, absolutely not. If you were a trans person, like a, 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 a man who identifies as a woman wearing a dress, lipstick, walking around campus, any problems? No, not at all. If you wear a MAGA hat and go walk around campus, do you have any problems? And the guy was like, yes. Mm. And he wasn't necessarily even like a, a Trump supporter. He was just like, yeah, like that's, that's true. So it's weird that we're in a position now where people are getting assaulted, spit on, things thrown at them, verbally attacked wearing a hat or having a certain political view and like we see this in our history like civil rights and you know our years and years like things of this like this have happened and the country's like almost so ashamed of it now but it still happens today but it's like seen as okay in the same way it was years ago for these other issues so i'm trying to expose more of that and i was thinking i have so many people messaging me from their colleges and high schools with these crazy stories of political discrimination they face. Some people have to write entire essays about things they don't believe in just because they'll fail if they don't. And it's 
really getting out of hand. So that's like bigger picture. The next area I'm working on um, now that the the, the, the protest culture has kind of died down a little bit. Oh, I'm sure it'll ramp back up real soon. What if you just if you talk to a normal person who does not know anything, does doesn't watch CNN or Fox, but if you just if you were to ask them basic questions, is Trump racist? Is Trump sexist? Is President Trump homophobic? Is he transphobic? Is he Islamophobic? Nine out of ten times, people are going to say yes, and then as you go and you ask them follow up questions to explain it, they don't have an answer. What do you, what do you see as a solution to that? Is to educating more people into well, no, he's not. He's not really this, and he's not that, and there's no evidence of this, at least that we that we can see where we can make an informed decision like that. So yeah, that's a huge problem, and especially because the people you would ask most times would be educated themselves, so they think they're smart. There's like a difference if you ask someone and they're like, ah, I don't really, I have no idea. Like that would be almost more honorable because they're admitting, I don't know, and I don't want to give you an answer. When you ask the people, is he racist? They'll say, oh, absolutely. And the reason they think so is because they hear about it so much. And they think, oh, I'm hearing about it from everywhere. It must be true. In the same way, they're looking at the protesters and saying, well, there's like a thousand people and it's shutting down the street. Like there must be something going on. So it's like the, you give into the group mentality. And I think one of the ways to fix it, which is why I do my channel, is seems kind of mean, but bring shame back to culture a little mm. bit. I think they, yeah. they try to get rid of shame because um, shame is not good. Shame makes you feel bad. But there is, some shame is okay. I think some shame keeps our culture in line. So I get a lot of messages now from people who are like, hey, man, I never followed politics. But I was watching your videos, and it made me wonder, what if you asked me that question? What would I say? And then I start looking into it. Um, and I realized, oh, like, you know, the Muslim ban, for example, oh, I look into it and it's actually only six countries and Obama put them together and it wasn't Trump just being racist or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's like people, when they see kind of like the cringe videos online while they're entertaining for a lot of people, for a lot of rational people in the middle, kind of a wake up call. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we, we appreciate this. I'm going to wrap this up with our, uh, quick game where we try and get RJ to lose. Welcome to your first game of Walmart or Waffle House. Today's contestants feature Fluckus Talks versus Richard James. The rules, I will why'd, read. Why'd you say it like that? Because you, you're going to lose. Uh -oh. Read off some crazy stories and you guys have to guess uh, if it was at a Walmart or a Waffle House. Are you buzzing in or are we just... Uh, we'll let you uh, go first uh, each time uh, okay. because I want RJ to have the disadvantage. Thank you. <laughs> and, um, all right. So question one, an employee was offered a $1 tip for helping an old lady out to her car. When the employee refused the tip, the old woman rolled her scooter over and stuffed it down his pants with an evil snicker. Awesome. Walmart. Walmart. RJ, what's your answer? I'm going to say that's a Waffle House. It was Walmart, so we got wow. one for Austin. All right. Um, question two. Several customers asked to see a manager regarding a mother and her two daughters, neither of them older than nine years old, both wearing matching jailbait shirts. The manager <laughs> mentioned the complaints to the mom and stormed out. Waffle House. RJ? Uh, I'll go with Walmart, I guess. 
It is Walmart. That <laughs> happened at a Walmart. <laughs> All right. A manager of this place called police after oh God, <laughs> after a man refused to stop tickling the female employees. When he was asked to leave, he tried to tickle the manager. <laughs> Where did this serial tickler attack? Was it a Walmart or Waffle House? I was. That sounds like a late drunk night at Waffle House. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Waffle House. Both right. Waffle House. <laughs> All right. Police were called. I mean, who hasn't tickled somebody at a Waffle House? I know. Uh, police were called to this location when a man entered this location, visibly drunk, whipped out his penis, and offered people fifty dollars to touch it. Austin, was that at a Walmart or a Waffle House? Waffle House. RJ. Uh, it was late night. Yes. Uh, Waffle House. That was at a Walmart. No uh, wonder you guys got that. Wow. Walmart. Uh, People are drinking early. Either one. (laughs) All right. Uh, Police were called to this location when a customer, (laughs) when a customer was trying to pay with a hundred dollar bill, which was clearly scanned and photocopied onto a regular sheet of paper. (laughs) Instead of leaving, he demanded to see a manager and was arrested. Where was his hat? Like us? I would say, I would say at a Waffle House. RJ? Uh, I'm going to go with Walmart on that one. That was correct. That was at Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to have RJ answer this one first because I think he's trying to cheat and just go opposite of you. <laughs> All right. RJ, a bad employee was arrested after it was found out that she was sprinkling meth into her coworkers' drinks to try and poison them. <laughs> That's definitely Waffle House. <laughs> Waffle House for RJ Austin. <laughs> I would say Waffle House as well. All right. Both right. Actually, Walmart. <laughs> oh, no. You said Waffle House at first, and it was correct, so we're giving you the point. <laughs> okay. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right. This next question for Austin is worth five points, and if RJ gets it, it's only one. Where's that in the rules? <laughs> hey, it's, like in, it's in the rules, RJ. All right. What is greater? And RJ, you go first. What is greater? The number of states that Waffle House is in? Or the number of countries Walmart is in? Countries, Walmart. Austin? Countries or states Waffle House is in? Um, I would say Waffle House. And it is Walmart. Walmart has more stores and or more countries than Waffle House has states. But if you can guess... How many countries, closest without going over, I'm going to have RJ write this so he can't cheat. Am I going to cheat? Yeah, don't cheat. You'll just go one above him. Price is right rules. How many countries is Walmart in? Who's going first? Uh, you can go first. RJ's writing it, so I know he doesn't cheat. I don't trust him. Um, how many countries? Uh, 20? And this question will be worth 10 points and rj wrote 37 and austin said 20 the closest without going over it is 28 austin is the winner (laughs) (laughs) congratulations Uh, so the waffle house is less than 28 states yeah it's only in 25 states according to my google search oh wow yeah oh wow you can't you you can't argue with what's on the internet you gotta believe it that's what Abe Lincoln said. Yeah. 
All right, uh, Austin, how can uh, people, we'll, we'll include all the links, but how can people find you, get a hold of you, et cetera? Uh, the best place is on Instagram and Twitter, at Fleckus, F-L-E-C-C-A-S, and then on YouTube, uh, Fleckus Talks. Awesome. And then uh, you have your one main page where people can go and subscribe and all that, and I'll throw that in the in the show notes. Um, but yeah, we'll get this up and running and we'll send it to you so you can blast it for people. And, uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to do this. And yeah, when you get up to Oregon, uh, let us know and we'll definitely, yeah. uh, we'll meet up with you. We'll buy you some food, some beer, the good stuff and make sure, uh, you get some to the weed. women's March. Yeah. Some weed. <laughs> cool. Thank you. I appreciate it. That all sounds fantastic. All right. Thank you very much. Have a good day. All right. See you guys. Thank you. That was legit. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you all for joining Table Talk today. We can't wait to be back with you guys, so make sure you subscribe, leave us a rating, and if there's anyone you guys want us to interview, shoot us an email or leave us a comment. RJ, any closing words? No, God, please, no, no, no. What am I, Toby? (laughs) Thanks for that. (laughs) All right, everyone, thank you.